0: Hello, my lovelies, and I'm sorry that I am so late with this week's episode. I mentioned last week that I started a new job last month, and I've been trying to find my new rhythm. And so we are going to make a slight change, and basically the episodes will now be coming out on Sunday instead of Saturday, um, because that will give me Saturday to work on them in case I accidentally fall behind. So, as an apology, I'm going to give you guys a double story episode and we will also still be having a bonus episode this month. So join me as I read to you two stories from the Just So Stories by Rudyard Kipling. The first story we are going to start with is How the Whale Got His Throat. In the sea, once upon a time, oh, my best beloved, there was a whale, and he ate fishes. He ate the starfish and the garfish and the crab and the dab and the place and the dace and the skate and his mate and the mackerel and the pickerel and the really, truly, twirly, whirly eel. All the fishes he could find in all the sea he ate with his mouth so till at last there was only one small fish left in all the sea. And he was a small stute fish, and he swam a little behind the whale's right ear, so as to be out of harm's way. Then the whale stood up on his tail and said, I'm hungry. And the small stute fish said in a small stute voice, Noble and generous, Cattation, have you ever tasted man? No, said the whale. What is it like? Nice, said the small stootfish. Nice, but nubbly. Then fetch me some, said the whale, and he made the sea froth up with his tail. One at a time is enough, said the stootfish. If you swim to latitude 50 north, longitude 40 west, that is magic, you will find sitting on a raft in the middle of the sea with nothing on but a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must not forget the suspenders, best beloved, and a jackknife, one shipwrecked mariner who, it is only fair to tell you, is a man of infinite resource and sagacity. So the whale swam and swam to latitude fifty north, longitude forty west, as fast as he could swim, and on a raft, in the middle of the sea, with nothing to wear except a pair of blue canvas breeches, a pair of suspenders, you must particularly remember the suspenders, my best beloved, and a jackknife he found one single solitary shipwrecked mariner trailing his toes in the water. He had his mummy's leave to paddle, or else he would never have done it, because he was a man of infinite resource and sagacity. Then the whale opened his mouth back and back and back till it nearly touched his tail, and he swallowed the shipwrecked mariner, and the raft he was sitting on and his blue canvas breeches and the suspenders, which you must not forget, and the jackknife. He swallowed them all down into his warm, dark inside cupboards, and then he smacked his lips. So, and turned round three times on his tail. But as soon as the mariner, who was a man of infinite resource and sagacity, found himself truly inside the whale's warm, dark inside cupboards. He stumped, and he jumped, and he thumped, and he bumped, and he pranced, and he danced, and he banged, and he clanged, and he hit, and he bit. And he leaped, and he creaked, and he prowled, and he howled, and he hopped, and he dropped, and he cried, and he sighed, and he crawled, and he bawled. And he stepped, and he leapt, and he danced hornpipes where he shouldn't, and the whale felt most unhappy indeed. Have you forgotten the suspenders? So he said to the stute fish, This man is very nubbly, and besides, he is making me hiccup. What shall I do? Tell him to come out, said the stute fish. So the whale called down his own throat to the shipwrecked mariner. Come out and behave yourself. I've got the hiccups." "'Nay, nay!' said the mariner. "'Not so, but far otherwise. "'Take me to my natal shore in the white cliffs of Albion, "'and I'll think about it.' And he began to dance more than ever. "'You had better take him home,' said the stute fish to the whale. "'I ought to have warned you that he is a man of infinite resource and sagacity.' So the whale swam and swam and swam, with both flippers in his tail, as hard as he could for the hiccups, and at last he saw the mariner's natal shore in the white cliffs of Albion, and he rushed halfway up the beach and opened his mouth wide and wide and wide, and said Change here for Winchester, Ashelot, Noshua, Keene, and the stations on the Fitchburg Road and just as he said Fitch, the Mariner walked out of his mouth. But while the whale had been swimming, the mariner who was indeed a person of infinite resource and sagacity, had taken his jackknife and cut up the raft into little square grating, all running crisscross, and he had tied it firm with his suspenders. Now you know why you are not to forget the suspenders. And he dragged that grating good and tight into the whale's throat, and there it stuck. Then he recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard it, I will now proceed to relate. By means of a grating I have stopped your eating. For the mariner was also a high Bare Nean. And he stepped out on the shingle and went home to his mother, who had given him leave to trail his toes in the water, and he married and lived happily ever afterward. So did the whale. But from that day on, the grating in his throat, which he could neither cough up nor swallow down, prevented him from eating anything except very, very small fish. And that is the reason why whales nowadays never eat men or boys or little girls. The small, stute fish, when he hid himself in the mud under the door sills of the equator, he was afraid that the whale might be angry with him. The sailor took the jackknife home. He was wearing the blue canvas breeches when he walked out on the shingle. The suspenders were left behind, you see, to tie the grating with. And that is the end of that tale. When the cabin portholes are dark and green because of the seas outside, when the ship goes whop with a wiggle between and the steward falls in the soup tureen and the trunks begin to slide, when Nursie lies on the floor in a heap and Mummy tells you to let her sleep, and you aren't waked or washed or dressed, why, then you will know, if you haven't guessed, you're fifty north and forty west. How the Rhinoceros Got His Skin Once upon a time, on an uninhabited island, on the shores of the Red Sea, there lived a Parsi, from whose hat the rays of the sun were reflected in more than oriental splendor. And the Parsi lived by the Red Sea with nothing but his hat and his knife and a cooking stove of the kind that you must never particularly touch. And one day he took flour and water and currants and plum and sugar and things and made himself one cake which was two feet across and three feet thick. It was indeed a superior comestible. That's magic. And he put it on stove because he was allowed to cook on that stove, and he baked it and he baked it till it was all done brown and smelt most sentimental. But just as he was going to eat it, there came down to the beach from the altogether uninhabited interior one rhinoceros with a horn on his nose, two piggy eyes, and few manners in those days the rhinoceros's skin fitted him quite tight there were no wrinkles in it anywhere he looked exactly like a noah's ark rhinoceros but of course much bigger all the same he had no manners then and he has no manners now and he never will have any manners he said how And the Parsi left that cake and climbed to the top of a palm tree with nothing on but his hat, from which the rays of the sun were always reflected in more than oriental splendor. And the rhinoceros upset the oil stove with his nose, and the cake rolled on the sand, and he spiked that cake on the horn of his nose, and he ate it. And he went away waving his tail to the desolate and exclusively uninhabited interior which abuts on the islands of Mizanderan, Socotra, and promontories of the larger equinox. Then the Parsi came down from his palm tree, and put the stove on its legs, and recited the following sloka, which, as you have not heard, I will now proceed to relate. Them that takes cakes which the Parsi man bakes make dreadful mistakes and there was a great deal more in that than you would think. Because five weeks later, there was a heat wave in the Red Sea, and everybody took off all the clothes they had. The Parsi took off his hat, but the rhinoceros took off his skin and carried it over his shoulders he came down to the beach to bathe. In those days, it buttoned underneath with three buttons and looked like a waterproof He said nothing whatever about the Parsi's cake, because he had eaten it all, and he had never had any manners then, since, or henceforth. He waddled straight into the water and blew bubbles through his nose, leaving his skin on the beach. Presently, the Parsi came by and found the skin, and he smiled one smile that ran all round his face two times. Then he danced three times round the skin, and rubbed his hands. Then he went to his camp and he filled his hat with cake crumbs, for the Parsi never ate anything but cake, and never swept out his camp. He took that skin and he shook that skin and he scrubbed that skin and he rubbed that skin just as full of old, dry, stale, tickly cake crumbs, and some burned currants, as ever it could possibly hold. Then He climbed to the top of his palm tree and waited for the rhinoceros to come out of the water and put it on. And the rhinoceros did. He buttoned it up with the three buttons and it tickled like cake crumbs in bed. Then he wanted to scratch, but that made it worse. And then he lay down on the sands and rolled and rolled and rolled. And every time he rolled, the cake crumbs tickled him worse and worse and worse. Then he ran to the palm tree and rubbed and rubbed and rubbed himself against it. He rubbed so much and so hard that he rubbed his skin into a great fold over his shoulders and another fold underneath where the buttons used to be. But he had rubbed the buttons off. And he rubbed some more folds over his legs and it spoiled his temper. And it didn't make the least difference to the cake crumbs. They were inside his skin, and they tickled. So he went home, very angry indeed, and horribly scratchy. And from that day to this, every rhinoceros has great folds in his skin, and a very bad temper, all on account of the cake-crumbs inside. But the Parsi came down from his palm tree, wearing his hat, from which the rays of the sun were reflected in more than oriental splendor. Packed up his cooking stove and went away in the direction of the Orotavo, amygdala, the upland meadows of Anantarivo, and the marshes of Sonaput. This uninhabited island is off Cape Gardafui by the beaches of Socotra and the pink Arabian Sea, but it's hot, too hot from Suez for the likes of you and me ever to go in a P and O and call on the cake, Parsi. And that is the end of our stories for this week. I will see you guys again on Sunday. However, if you want more stories, I have a podcast to recommend to you. N.J. Sullivan Telling Tales. Brand new original stories in the vein of a 1930s radio drama detective noir, a little bit of sci-fi, and he writes and records everything. You guys should go check him out. And until Sunday, I will see you later. Time Stories with Celosia Crane is supported entirely by Patreon. If you are enjoying these stories and would like to get more involved and help me decide on our next series, please consider becoming a patron for as little as $1 a month. You can join my Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Crane. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.